Hello and welcome. You're listening to season one of Adam Was Mad, a podcast where we discuss all things childhood mental health. I'm your host, Michelle, and each week I speak with a guest who either experienced mental health struggles as a child themselves, is parenting a child who has a mental health diagnosis, or who's a professional in this field. A quick cautionary note, many of our episodes talk about trauma of various kinds. So listener discretion is advised. Every story is important and valued, and every story reminds us we're not alone out there. You have a village of people who understand exactly what you're going through and who can help. If you're looking to connect more closely with that village, join us on Facebook in the group Your Village by following the link at the top of today's show notes. When you join, enter your email to receive our free monthly resource. Hopefully you'll learn something new, hear something interesting, or truly just be reminded that you're not alone. Without any further ado, let's get to today's episode. Hi everyone, thanks for being with me today. I have with me Lonnie. Lonnie is the parent of an adult who is diagnosed with mental health conditions, and she is going to be speaking to us today about her journey and how she got where she is. So welcome, Lonnie. Thank you so much for being here. And can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and about your journey? Awesome. Thanks for having me, Michelle. It's great to be here today. Um, Man, I wish somebody like you was out there doing this work Thirty. three years ago when I was started going through this journey with, with my son, my, my background actually is I started out in nursing. I'm a nurse, um, but I climbed the corporate ladder and, uh, just left a couple of years ago as a fortune 175 CEO. Oh, wow. That ties into a little bit about what I think, uh, those of us who have this experience in our life is like, did I screw my kid up? Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was climbing the corporate ladder. He's 33. I had a 28 ish year career. And uh, so you can imagine he was along for the journey. So when we got to the place of, we actually have a mental health diagnosis, I went through the, Oh my God, <laughs> what did well, I actually, do? <laughs> not even so much the diagnosis, all the stuff that leads up before you get a diagnosis is like, what are we yeah. doing? Wrong? Um, I wasn't cut out for this. <laughs> What do I do? How am I screwing this up? But in my uh, personal and professional life, I'm a business coach and I'm also a consultant to corporations for sure. I'm kind of like the turnaround artist. I love strategy and growth and all of those things. Um, And obviously my background really helps there, but my personal entrepreneurial journey, I've been a coach. I'm an NLP practitioner, master practitioner. I went on that journey to solve my own mood stuff. I was unaware of things, which I'll share as we go along. Um, But I, you know, I built a gym from the ground up. I've always been in the self-care, self-development phase. So like in my coaching business, it's like, that's NLP is perfect for that, how to have better outcomes. Um, As a gym owner, you know, I've struggled with my weight and self-care. So I built a brick and mortar (laughs) business around that. Uh, top people, clean eating and all those kinds of things, all in this idea of how can we feel better? Um, I have an online coaching company and work in the consulting space. And I really serve high six figure and seven figure entrepreneurs to really put 
the elements of professional management into their company so they can stop doing all the things. Entrepreneurs are usually doing all of the things. The marketing and the email workflow. Yeah, they're doing all the, the doing, right? Right, and, doing all the doing, exactly. They have to learn to delegate. Yeah, well, and, you know, just build what professional management without the bureaucracy mm. in their company so they can have the freedom they say they actually want. And often- <laughs> I love that. The freedom is often about, I want to spend time with my kids and watch them grow up. So that's, mm. was kind of my, my journey through the whole thing. I literally drove my son to, he went to um, UC Santa Barbara. I drove him to school crying the whole way, realizing oh. I'm out of time. Yeah. And then we got an official, you know, mental health diagnosis nine years later. Wow. So, wow. You know, it reminds me when you say that driving, driving to UC Santa Barbara, where I used to work, by the way, um, oh, cool. That uh, you realized you were out of time. And I think about that all the time. I actually have a big, big sign up in my kitchen. And I know that they say that uh, word decor, quote decor is on its way out, but I'm not getting rid of this one. It's this big sign. And it has this saying about how you will never have this day with your children again. So stop, pay attention, listen to their, you know, little feet on the floor that, you know, listen, listen to their their tiny voices, their little squeaky voices and ooh and all over their drawings and their pictures and, you know, their stories because you will never have this day with your child again. And it also reminds me of, um, and I'm sure I read this online somewhere, but about the fact that you, if you're lucky, you have 18 summers with them. That's it. 18 summers with them. I know it doesn't, not just like a dagger to the heart. I mean, it's like, oh my God. Gosh, it just makes me want to hug them and you yes. know keep them close. And so yes, it absolutely is. Now, t- so tell me about that. You dropped your son off, and you still didn't have that diagnosis. Did you? Did you feel confident dropping him off? Were you worried about him? Were you afraid well, for him? What were your feelings in that moment? I think your audience may have a lot of younger kids. Um, I think you mentioned when we were getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. I can tell you. Teenagers are often assholes. <laughs> even good to know. <laughs> even neurotypical ones. Right? Yes. So um, he was definitely 18 and full of himself. And um, so I didn't know that there was anything quote unquote wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a blended family. We have three total kids. He's the youngest. Um, my two bonus girls were not wild by any stretch of the imagination, but they also were not completely easy. Right. I was a wild ass teenager. I had my son when I was 18. So it wasn't like I thought anything was wrong. Right. Right. I was struggling with, I'm out of time, which is why my business, I say, I help people build the team and the systems and the practices so that they never have to miss a moment that matters. Cause that time is my highest value. Yeah. And it came right out of this life lesson. So I wasn't aware that we were on <laughs> the beginning of the next phase of the journey. I thought I was doing the normal thing, dropping the kid off at college. Now, when I share more about him, you'd be like, wow, this kid made it to UC Santa Barbara. Well, because these people are super freaking smart. Yes. I also didn't know, and I've only learned this in retrospect. One, my mom clearly has an undiagnosed mental health challenge. Mm because all of the things I've gone through with my son, I realized I grew up with. Mm -hmm. So I was also not shocked by a lot of behaviors because I grew up in my 
my right. primary, my family of primary origin was all about, I, I assume that my mom must be bipolar. So what, what they say, your normal meter was off. Yeah, my normal meter was off. That's a great way to say it. So the, the tolerance for uh, behavior was pretty big. And I, my mom was a street drug dealer. So mm. I grew up in a very, she was also a nurse. I grew up in a very um, chaotic environment and all the things that happen when, you know, mom's whacked out on drugs. And I was born in the seventies. So my mom was a female drug dealer in the seventies wow. and enough, enough of a, uh, product running through her various apartments that like a cop lived with us to protect the trade type of a thing. Wow. I only now have, I'll see something on TV where we're watching the mayor of Kingstown, I think it's called. And so I look at that and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's <laughs> my life, right? Which a show that I love, by the way, I'm, yeah. I'm have to wait until the entire season is out so that I can binge it because I can't wait week to week. I'm not somebody who has that kind of patience. So yeah. I have to, I love Same. that show. Same. Guilty. My first experience with realizing how chaotic my life was, was actually the series Shameless. Somebody really? said to me, oh, you've got to watch this. And I watched it and I went into a depression. I didn't have siblings. I was an only child, but my, my house was that chaotic and the drugs were that serious, right? Um, their family was alcohol and I think meth or whatever. Um, my mom was cocaine and, you know, whatever all else. But so my mom had a diagnosis, never had a diagnosis, but has struggled right. her whole life. I have struggled with mood and depression mm -hmm. my whole life. So all the businesses have been around. How do you basically chase the dopamine is what I've learned, right? So how do you use energy? How do you uh, work out? How do you eat better? How, what supplements should you be taking? Like I've got built businesses around all of this stuff, trying to feel better for myself. Right. And uh, I tried antidepressants when I was like 19. And I was like, this doesn't work. I mean, I was just numb and that wasn't going to work. So I learned only recently that I actually have ADD. I never knew that. Really? Wow. So I'm 52 this month on a sales call with one of my favorite people on the planet, Carol Jean, who is, I believe she's autistic. And she is like trying, her mission is to help employers bring neurodivergent people into more employment, kind of like in fractional ways Okay, at the things that they're really good at to help the employment problem out there and also keep neurodivergent people employed in great paying jobs because they're brilliant. Yeah. Just they can't always show up 40 hours a week and be on time and all those things or get along with their <laughs> cubby mates. And that kind of so we were on a call sales call. <laughs> and I had forgotten something. And um, I said, man, since I left corporate last year, like, I feel like my life is falling apart. I'm sharing this with her. I'm like, I feel like my life's falling apart. And she said, we'll say more about that. And I'm like, I can't remember anything. All the cupboards are open. I'm forgetful. And she says, well, Lonnie, I'm sure you know, we went through this whole thing. She's like, I'm pretty sure you have ADD. Um, she may not have been so direct about it, but anyway, she said, it makes sense you had all this structure in corporate, you competed at a very high level to make it to the top. So you had structure deadlines. Yes. All that, that kept you functioning at a very high level. You've lost all that structure. 
And so you're probably floundering around. So give yourself deadlines. Oh my God, it worked. And so then I start. I got a TikTok diagnosis. I started watching this guy, Connor, somebody who's got like 17 bajillion followers. <laughs> and I'm like nine out of 10, like I'm like this on the screen, face glued to the screen. And I'm sh- I show it to my son who is diagnosed with ADD. And I'm like, oh my God, this is my life. He goes, mom, turn it off. You're driving me crazy. That's my whole life. Yes, that's. <laughs> Yeah, I was that's like, what it oh, is, mom. That's what it is. I show wow. it to my husband and he's like, oh my God, this is you. I close all the cupboards, you know, all the things. That's so then of course wild. Online tests. And it's like, yeah, you have every form of ADD known to man. So yeah, right. Off the charts. I also have the perspective of getting to 52 and finding out, wow, all the stuff I've done, you know, getting my MBA and, you know, 4.0 and all those things are probably through the grace of ADD, which I never knew I had anything. And then my son struggled with it. And I, because he's 30 something, 33 in 1995, when he's starting kindergarten, now people know to screen for it, look for it, support it. There are Mm -hmm. systems out there, but back then it was like, and we went to um, private Catholic school, like act right or get your butt whooped or go to the principal's office or whatever. And they had just started medicating people, but there wasn't a lot of knowledge about it. So my son right. made it to me without any medication. Wow. <laughs> Which is like, now you're like, wow, how does that happen? He figured out his freshman year, he was in a health class, you know, freshman health. At the yeah. Health 101. <laughs> health 101 at the UC. And he's like, hey, this is me. Come to find out. He's dyslexic. He was oh left-handed. They forced him to be right-handed. Oh my gosh. I never knew that story. So it makes sense why when I, he'd say what month comes after my birthday or whatever. I'm like, you don't, you know, your months. He's like, no, not really. Like, how do you not know your months? Right. So I struggled as kind of like, I didn't know I had ADD, but like this quote, normal person who had no context for what his stuff was. Yeah. Like how do you not know your months? Like, how do we get to college and you don't know your months? Well, certainly he knows his months, but he might not know January, February, March. Right. He's a 4.0 student, by the way, all the way through his junior year of college. Right. This is not stupidity. This This is not, this is different. So I'm like baffled. So I'm like performing at a high level, incredibly successful. We're obviously wealthy. I grew up poor, obviously, but, you know, we're obviously wealthy. There's all the resources on the planet we could pay for. And we're walking around like my husband and I, like dumb and dumber, not knowing. Yeah. Like, how do we help? There's something to help. So I'm fascinated by this at this stage in my life, because the way I struggled and dealt with it was obviously through the extreme health, extreme exercise, extreme, all those kinds of things. And achievement, like I, I was addicted to achievement. I linked that to security that based on the way I grew up. Right. My son obviously had the ADD. I never knew the dyslexia. I've only just learned that he was forced to be right-handed in school. Wow. Definitely left-handed. And so, you, you, you know, as a parent, you're like, you have no context. And like, looking back, I'm like, I don't know how this 
guy did anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's pretty amazing. It goes to the education, right? About mental health. Yeah. You know, it wasn't talked about. It wasn't discussed. It wasn't out in the open. If to, you know, if somebody said, you know, I'm struggling in school. I can't remember the months. It was study harder or, you know, just will your way through it, make a list, write it down, use this cheat sheet. You know, it was, it was all about if you are not operating at the same level or in the same way that other people are or are expecting you to operate, then you're doing something wrong. It's your fault. And there was no conversation around mental health at the time. It just wouldn't even cross your mind. Which is why I'm so excited about what you shared with me when you said, you know, there was there's not enough community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back then there was any, we weren't even online. I bought my first computer when I did my bachelor's degree. I mean, I got through my first round of college with no computer. So physical community, online community, it didn't exist. The resources still frankly suck. Mm-hmm. I have all the money in the world. You know, we're a very high multi-seven figure family and I can't buy enough stuff to help because it doesn't freaking exist. Um, But just raising awareness and you said you want to help parent to parent people to figure out like you're not screwed up and we're in this thing together. You didn't screw this up. You didn't. Yeah. Yeah. You're not alone. I'm so passionate about what you said you want to do because- my husband and I went through this, not knowing we were in a thing. Yeah. Trying to solve, you know, to, to help. Yeah. yeah. How many times we've been in the principal's office with behavior stuff. And, and my son really is, and I'm learning this is true of a lot of people in this situation. He's the sweetest person on the inside. Mm, yeah. You know, he loves the animals, doesn't want to step on the grass, don't want to hurt the plants, like loves everything. But, you know, the, the I don't feel well comes out in um, behavioral stuff sometimes, you know, yeah. impulse and all those kinds of things. And the challenges are just like stacked to the roof. And I think about just like, I don't know how he made it. And I, I, I didn't even know we were in a thing. And um, so trying to get through that and not have regret, I'm, I'm yeah. grateful. Yeah that there's people like you trying to help and reach and say, Hey, this is, this is quote unquote normal. Um, <laughs> just amazing to me. The the challenges are just immense and it, it doesn't socioeconomic status can make it better, but there's still just not enough, right. uh, no matter what it is. Um, I talked about, you know, he, he academically achieved very well. So there was also not a sign that way. Right. That wasn't a red flag because he was fifth doing grade. well in school. Yeah. Fifth grade. Well, he, he had the missed assignment thing, constantly had missed assignments. Right. So we put together a system. We're going to solve this. And um, so fifth grade, at least then, I think it happens a little sooner now. Kids are more advanced in school now. But fifth grade was like that journey from now the math's going to get hard you know mm, we're going to go yeah. from basic arithmetic to algebra he's got missed assignments galore he's got you know the behavioral stuff that the school's like please fix the behavior uh we don't know how to fix it um 
I'm climbing my corporate ladder. <laughs> you just get a vision of all this stuff. And so we're chaos, yeah. Absolute chaos. We have pets. We got, you know, blended family, all that stuff. And um, I don't know what to do. So we're meeting with the principal. Thank God he was in private school because I, at least they're a team with you, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. In kind of a, an elevated way. And so we take him to this thing called Huntington Learning Center where they do an assessment. And I'm thinking, well, maybe we're going to find out this kid can't read or, you know, whatever. Mm, yeah. We find out he's in fifth grade reading at the 13th grade level. Wow. Bored out of his mind. He's not being challenged and that's coming out as behavior. Wow. And so they, they, the reason they checked for reading was they said math is often hard if you can't, if you don't have a good reading ability. Oh, interesting. And I'm not a teacher, so I don't know that, you know, I was a, a nurse, but we have this much child development, but certainly not all of that. So it was like, okay, well, reading's not the problem. So he just moved into Huntington moving learning center. This is how I solved it. It was like, well, every day we just dropped him off there. They did all the homework and then they worked on behavior and, you know, just all the other skills that go into being a successful human. Right. Which was amazing. Then they closed in the town we we lived in so then we moved to the tutoring club so uh him and my middle daughter every day everybody just went to the tutoring club and maria there she got all my kids through calculus even early college wow so we we solved the problem of missing homework and if i had tried to beat the person teaching basic skills you know research and those kinds of things so we solved for the behavior stuff by paying another organization to fill in the gaps we didn't know how to do as parents. Yeah. That's not available to everyone, right? No, it is not. Yeah, But huge difference. And so, you know, my husband would pick them up at the end of tutoring club, take them to Subway and get there. That was the reward. Like we're going to go to Subway. But Aww. literally my, my kid grew up in tutoring club. Yeah. <laughs> Work was done. And all of the individualized focus on why are you not learning? Well, not you have ADD, but like, let me do it in a different way so that it works for your brain. He had a tutor from fifth grade until his freshman year of college. Right. He had someone there holding his hand, helping him figuring to out how to get the work. Yeah. In a way that made sense for his brain. That's amazing that he had that. I mean, yeah. and you say you, you know, you mentioned looking back and it's hard not to have regret when you look back because you didn't realize this was all going on. But what an amazing gift you gave to him because you did help him get through by providing that assistance, filling in that gap so that he was able yeah. to be highly, highly successful as he went through school and then through college. So yeah. I truly, I don't think you have anything to regret. You had this, oh, thank you, for you that. know, uh, you, you <laughs> provided the most amazing support anybody could ask for, which is you gave him someone to hold his hand and work with him in a way yeah. that worked for his brain. And it obviously worked. He's, he went to UC Santa Barbara is, you know, how is he doing today? Um, well, he's, he's experiencing the challenges of adult adults with mental health. Um, he, his freshman year, he got, uh, is it Adderall? Mm -hmm. And so he was introduced to a psychiatrist because he needed that prescription and the school health system, you know, helped him identify that. So that was obviously a game changer for him to have focus and those kinds of things. And his psychiatrist who was with him for 15 years before he retired and the same family practice physician who was with him for 15 years before he retired. And that's a challenge for mental health. 
he trusts that physician that they were on a text basis by the time he and what a gift because by the time he was ready to make a diagnosis when he was 27 my son only have a diagnosis for 6 years wow he had the benefit of having the same psychiatrist for 9 years well how many because he was in Santa Barbara there are specialists available there aren't enough psychiatrists here yeah there so aren't true. enough family practice and internal medicine physicians who have and he says I like old docs I don't want young ones because the you know the young ones don't have any life experience or whatever that's what he says his current physician is like 75 years old still working and Josh shows up for his appointments that's always a sign right they show up for the, the appointments so um, he's experiencing the challenges that people with mental health as an adult have and also we didn't know there was a mental health thing so a lot of the skill building that a kid who has a diagnosis today, uh, bipolar is often not diagnosed until the twenties anyway, but there, we didn't have, you know, 15 years at home where we were doing a system that would support. So, um, he's certainly suffering through, I need a psychiatrist and the feeling, the loss of the one he had for 15 years and trying to figure out who's my internal medicine doc going to be, who actually also understands. Right. And all of those system obstacles for somebody who has trouble figuring out how to show up on time on the right day. Yeah. At yeah. The right well, and you know, that is a challenge uh, again of getting a diagnosis as an adult, because you don't have a parent to say, you know, okay, it's nine o'clock time to get your shoes on yeah. and get in the car. You know, Except- you do have to get yourself, you have to yourself navigate that. And when you haven't gotten a diagnosis as a child, you know, I hadn't thought about this before you said it. So I'm so glad you brought it up. You don't have 15 or 20 or 25 years of skill building your entire life to learn how to put these systems in place and to learn these coping strategies. You know, we're using things and obviously the coping strategies change as you grow older. We use totally different things. Now my child is, my oldest child is six. I'm sure we'll use completely different tools and strategies at 16, as opposed to what we will use when he's 26. (laughs) But you know, it's, you have that growth and you have that progression and you have that awareness as you're growing older um, when you get your diagnosis young. And when you don't get your diagnosis until older, all of a sudden you are truly having to navigate this system completely on your own, which I think I feel like, especially with somebody with ADHD must be very, very difficult to try to figure out all the red tape and the health insurance and the bureaucracy that goes along with getting a mental health diagnosis. And then once you have that diagnosis, then getting treatment. And I I can imagine that that must be very challenging. Do you feel, um, you know, do you feel like you're able to step in and help him with that? Does he not want help with that because he's an adult now? You know, how have you guys navigated that? Yeah, we did the, I'm an adult and I can figure this out. We did that 10 years ago. Um, (laughs) But, you know, he's had some physical injuries through sports and that kind of thing. So he's got Mm. some stuff. Um, He's definitely, he owns his own company, thank God, because on the days he's not functioning, it's okay. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah. He uh, he was like the top salesman at Nordstrom when he early on, but he couldn't, couldn't get to work on time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. um, So he's an entrepreneur and that fits, but the things that matter, like he has an appointment with a specialist, uh, either me or my husband, we're both, uh, my husband's an attorney, he's self-employed. I'm an entrepreneur consultant. We make our own schedules. So if it's important, 
we are in Santa Barbara the day before we pick them up for the appointment. We make sure that we're there on time and all of that, because like to get a neurologist appointment, it was a six month wait. Yes. And that's brilliant by the way that you're able to do that. No, you can't. And that goes to what you were saying earlier about not having enough psychiatrists. I mean, there aren't enough psychiatrists. There aren't enough neurologists. I, I live next door to a pediatrician, which let me tell you with three kids under six is like, I mean, I just, I don't know how we got so lucky, but we lived next to this lovely pediatrician and we were actually having dinner with him a few nights ago. And we were chatting about my oldest and, um, I mentioned that we got very lucky that we were able to get in with a psychiatrist. I think it took us about, I want to say it was like eight weeks from the time we got the referral to actually getting in. And that felt lightning fast. I know there are other people in my own community. I live in central Virginia, in my own community who have waited upwards of six months to get in with a psychiatrist. And not only because there aren't enough psychiatrists, but pediatric psychiatry is there's yeah, like one in a hundred mile radius, you know, it's, it's nearly impossible. So yeah. I, I feel like I'm so, I'm so grateful that this mental health awareness is becoming so much more normative, more popular. People are talking about this. Um, the only downside is that now we need more practitioners, you know, now that we're having conversations and people are receiving referrals and people are seeking out help. Now we need more, more people working in the mental health field, you know, particularly after COVID, I think the dialogue really changed and people have been seeking help, whereas maybe they wouldn't have before. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing if you can get in. Yeah. And I, so more practitioners touches on something that I think has made resources available to my son is he has insurance. I pay for, you know, the platinum plan to make sure that the premiums get paid. So you ask, like, are we still involved? I didn't expect I'd be parenting like this at 52. Right. But, you know, if the insurance doesn't get paid. Yeah. And so every one of his providers has his insurance card and my my visa ATM card. And I just, because if, if he shows up, just treat him, right? Yeah. Don't worry about right. the money. So that brings up the just the funding. You want more practitioners, but we pretty much pay cash for everything, even though he has insurance, because they don't providers don't want to play the insurance game anymore, and they right. get paid very little. So uh, we pretty much pay cash. He made an appointment for a dental thing that he actually um, we showed up for and did the thing, and at the end they were like, you know, that'll be seventeen hundred and fifty dollars, and I just smokes. <laughs> I just hand him my ATM card. Yeah, and. My husband's like, well, he has insurance. I said, yeah, I bet you he's out of network. Sure enough, he's out of network. I'm not going to say you can't go because you're out of network. Yeah. He made the appointment. Right. Which was a win, which was and a win that he made. We the calendared it and we showed up. And so that's a big piece on the mental health side that I think the system also needs to be done a little differently, I think. Yeah. What my son would really benefit from, and I'm thinking about this because I'm on the back half of life, right? is like a coach who shows up not you know you need a you need a psychiatrist because you're on heavy duty meds you need a internal med because their self-care is tough they have more chronic illnesses than anybody else because they don't do anything about it for a long time right right yeah preventative care is tough they don't do self-care preventative care those kinds of things they don't take care of dental and all that kind of stuff so 
later in life, there's problems that come up, but who's going to show up for those appointments when I'm not around anymore? Like it's a real consideration. So all of your audience has younger people, but I'm on the place of, okay, we have to set up a supportive trust so that the money doesn't just disappear Yeah, to figure out who's going to make sure the appointments happen and the rent gets paid and, you know, all of that kind of stuff as you know, when support team is not around and there are so many people who would be happy to say, well, let's put him under guardianship. He doesn't need guardianship, you know, right. Right. Coaching and reminding. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. And, um, and at the time where he decides it's urgent, something has to be available. So, you know, he can't live in just anywhere because he's not going to go a hundred miles to have the psychiatrist visit. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, there are so many considerations that you don't even think about when you're the parent of a young child and you know, I mean, I know consciously that eventually he will transition to living independently and that there will need to be all these extra support systems in place, but there are things we don't think about. So I love that we're having this conversation and you can share with us about parenting an adult child, because like you said, you weren't expecting to be parenting to this degree at yeah. this age. And yeah, and it's, um, it's not a bad thing. It's just nobody prepared for, right. Nobody's prepared. Now I it. view myself as the coach, you know, it doesn't feel like, you know, so much active parenting, like you're doing with your kids, but you know, it's like, Hey, are you on your supplements? Are you sleeping? <laughs> you know, You have to ask those questions and help strategize for a resource they will use or a system they will implement. Uh, to get those things done. And um, he absolutely is independent. It's yeah. not, so like he came home with COVID, mental health was a big hit, uh, took a big hit during COVID. He came home for, I think, nine months during COVID because COVID made, I saw it in the hospitals, you know, um, I was a hospital CEO during COVID. Um, I, I saw mental health, like paranoia. I wouldn't say he was paranoid, but he came home and was like, I need to be safe. This yeah. doesn't feel safe out there in the world. He was home for nine months. So we sustained his home for nine months while he was at home. Wow. Many people just lost their homes. Yeah. You know? So many, so many lost their homes, lost their jobs, lost their support systems, lost their independence. It was tough. Yeah. It was tough. Yeah. So thank God, he, you know, he has his own company and, um, if he had had a job that would have been gone, all of those, all of those things. So yeah, I'm, you know, I'm looking through the lens of the retrospect and then obviously creating the supportive plan for, you know, when we're not on the earth anymore, I like to say I'm on the back half of it of life, <laughs> the back nine. Uh, yeah, exactly. We're on the back nine of this. So it's a little different consideration. You're probably still advocating in the schools and that kind of thing, but yes. schools are actually way more aware than they ever were. So there's programs and teachers are trained and teachers are advocating for all of this stuff at this point. So yeah, I think there needs to be for sure system shifts to realize appointments. You know, it's got to be more, I think, community-based care that it, it's like, yes, you have to perform like an adult in this world and you have to show up and you have to choose to do these things but there are some days people with mental health challenges are not functioning yeah and showing up 30 minutes late for an appointment and saying come back in six months it's just like it's nearly impossible and then if if 
the provider has not dealt with that potentially in their own life, or they don't focus on mental health challenges. And they're just like, Hey, you broke the rules. Yeah. And there's no sympathy for it. There's no understanding. <laughs> yeah. That it was a win that you were able to show up. You showed up late, but you're yeah, there or the wrong day ready. or and the wrong day. Right. The, the uh, guy that he sees now for his internal med, he, he's the guy 75. He's told him his whole story. Like my son kind of interviewed him. Like I need a doctor and I need to know if you meet the criteria. And the guy was okay with that. Yeah. And oh, when he shows that. up on the wrong week, he's like, hey, your appointment was last Thursday, but if you stay in the waiting room and don't leave, I'll work you in. I love, oh, so wonderful. So wonderful. It's so glad that he was able to find a provider who understands that and is willing to yeah. work with him on it. How fantastic. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about how the fact, you know, the fact that you have an older child, what advice, what words of wisdom would you give to somebody in my stage of life where my children are young and we're looking forward to the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, what would you have told yourself in this stage? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, be gentle with yourself. Mm. It's not your fault. You know, that a lot of this stuff is hereditary. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, We've done, we've changed so much in our environment, in the food supply, like the food industry, don't even get me started. We've changed so much stuff in the environment, the food, all of those things. It's amazing human survive period. Yeah. So I would so say true. like, number one, this is not your fault. Mm -hmm. Probably in, in my way of thinking, this child was given to you because you're built to handle it. Like, I, love that. I don't think there are any accidents in that, in that way. I agree. And I would say, take a longer view, like which battles are you going to choose? Like take a longer view. Cause you're probably going to be in this game till you're 78 or 87. Whew. So this is a light my... at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> well, this is the light is like, okay, if you plan for a marathon instead of a sprint, you won't be disillusioned when you get there and you go, oh my gosh, I thought I was going to be done. I love that. Yeah. And the other thing I would say is um, you cannot pour from an empty cup, mm. your health and your self-care, your, your fitness. I don't mean run, be a marathon runner, but move every day, drink all your water, eat healthy food, take your supplements, get, get your sleep, all those things. Not only being an example for your child who probably isn't going to have all the best self-care, especially if they don't have a good example of it. But while you're in charge and it's your system, you're exemplifying and enforcing sleep and all of these things because you can't pour from an empty cup. And when they get out of your house, if they don't know how to do any of that stuff, we're life really so much harder. Yeah, yeah. Life would be so much harder for them if they don't. What a great point And what a wonderful sentiment to end on. Take care of yourself. Put your own gas mask on first before you can help the person next to you. I love that. Lonnie, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been Absolutely. a wonderful conversation. I am so glad you were willing to come on and share your years of experience and your insight. This has been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been great being here. And I hope that this helps your audience, even in some tiny way. <laughs> I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Thanks again. Thanks so much. That's all for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to follow or subscribe and check out today's show notes for free downloadable resources 
and a link to join your village, our Facebook community. Catch you next time.